Let's have a word of prayer. We're looking at hopefully we're going to finish up Titus. Uh, <laughs> we are in the closing verse, which is simply grace be with you all. That's our closing text for the day. So we're going to finish up the book. We should be able to get through that today. God is very good and you're very patient. So thank you. And uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Lord, Lord, we've been thinking this morning about shepherding. I, I really appreciate the, the study and the focus and the lesson and the challenge. And uh, everybody knows that I and other shepherds and other teachers fall short of the standard that you have set. Uh, it is a massively high standard, and yet that standard is not mediated or removed or reduced. Uh, we are to stretch ourselves. Uh, the Bible talks about every man wants to be a, an elder. He stretches himself to match these qualifications and areas. <coughs> and so I, I just stand up here too and publicly acknowledge that I desire to be pleasing to you and to honor you, and I desire for my life and the ministry to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what that's who we want to hear from today. Um, I do thank you for the topic that we've looked at and it's been laid in our lap. Thank you for this book. Uh, I pray that um, in spite of the fact that I have not had the study time this morning that I would like to have, I'm not trying to make excuses, but at the same time, it is important to know your word and to go through it. We're going to be looking at the topic of grace briefly. And uh, so as we bring this book to a close, I pray that you'll be pleased to use this time my life and to use this time in our lives that jesus christ and jesus christ alone would be exalted and lifted up and that you would have your way with us and i ask this in his name with thanksgiving amen well it's, it's been a, an interesting thank you very much uh, I, I may spit one out by getting one too hard um it's been a good study for me to be in here and to look at this book and to see how Paul is relying on this Gentile elder, this Gentile church leader who he has used at the first Jerusalem council. Uh, it's always interesting. We are, we are populating the history of the church now for 2000 some years since the church was first started if you will the beginning of the church i'm not neglecting israel and i'm not neglecting the fact that god's work is continuing on from israel to the church but there is a sense in which on the day of pentecost the church distinct from israel began and uh, we um mark our calendars back looking to that particular time and uh, it is interesting uh, that from our vantage point we look back and we see church history and there have been all kinds of church conferences and church movements and councils and things like that but the standard was set at that first Jerusalem council where the leadership of the church in Jerusalem uh, were faced with the challenge of whether there needs to believers need to keep some kind of mosaic law of circumcision and other things in order to be saved or before they can be saved 
that was and that was officially decided there in the Jerusalem Council. And one of the key witnesses there that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised before they would be used for testimony or witness or to confirm the work of God or to lead in the work of God was this man Titus. He was a very significant uh, person. And, and really for us, and I guess I think all of us in this room are converted with Gentiles that have been converted to Christ. And we are in the church as Gentiles. And so I, for one, look at Titus as an encouragement to say, here's a man of God who was not Jewish and he was accepted and didn't have to prove anything to the leadership of the Jerusalem Council and to the leadership there. And his testimony was a strong validation of the work of Jesus Christ in the hearts of people um, to be servants and effective leaders. And that's an encouragement to me, and I'm sure it is an encouragement to you. Uh, we come now to the book of Titus, this letter that was written to Titus. And one of the things that always stands out to me as I read this book, it always is, it's very clear that this Paul was addressing this as, as a servant of God and the apostle uh, to those to the faith of those that are chosen of God. And that that phrase of those chosen of God is a is a very encouraging, sweet, warm invitation to my heart to appreciate what God is doing. And we're looking in Sunday school class at the Jewish people and uh, the, the leadership that were there, that, that there was a struggle there. Jesus was contrasting his work as the good shepherd with the work of these leaders who were false shepherds, robbers, and and those that were wanting to steal glory for themselves. And Jesus talked about his sheep, and then later on, uh, he distinguished the leaders. He said, you want to know what my sheep look like? They hear my voice. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal, and they will not perish. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And that's identifying Mark. It's not whether you're Jewish or not. It's whether you are following Jesus. And while we would acknowledge, and I think that's very good, good you're making the point there, that the Jewish leaders, that there is a picture of for the Jews being followers of Jesus. But it is also expanded and clear that God's chosen people, chosen from before the foundation of the world, are his. And that the day is going to come when we will be together in one shepherd and one flock. And that we will be... Uh, I don't want to say resigning, but we will be fellowshipping with him and around him and uh, by him. It's, it's a staggering, if you think about it, to me, it's a staggering reality to think that one day these eyes will look into the very face of the one who gave his life for me. And I know that I will be greatly humbled and very disappointed in my life and the things that I tried to do or didn't try to do, the things I ignored. I know that. I, there's no question in my mind. And I would like to alleviate that. And I have peace in the fact that I know the cross covers my sin. But at the same time, there is that, that massive debt that, is not, that has been paid by him, but it makes me feel bad that I have that debt. You know what I'm saying? That I've sinned. And done those things and, and experienced those things and run away at times or pursued and done this and done that and whatever. I don't want to go over all that garbage. But the fact is that our shepherd has sufficiently brought us into the flock. 
And we look back at this this uh, Jerusalem Council as the first time in which this flock was making a serious formal meeting to determine by the leadership some of the doctrinal issues that are true according to the Bible and those that are maybe issued as extraneous or detours or distractions and are rejected formally by the leadership of the church. Now the church has taken on a lot of funny babies now that are not part of the true church and a lot of other things that have come up since then like the Catholic Church and other things. But the fact is that we look back to Titus as seeing one of the first Gentiles. And that's to me that that's a nice thing. Here's Titus and and he begins in the, the chapter three chapters in the first chapter he just kind of warned about uh things that are coming exhorting people with sound doctrine and things of this nature and he's given leadership he talks about the different kinds of people older men younger older women young men and just staying up the standard and stuff like that and we've gone through the book and i'm not going to belabor that i'm just mentioning that because this has been a confusing series in one sense because i've been in the hospital to a part of it and come and gone and so it's been difficult to to kind of find and it's not only difficult it's difficult for me to put that out to you but it's difficult for me because i've been out of it for back and forth piecemeal and so and i was in there last night looking at the book and realizing how much of it i didn't remember it's really discouraging in a way it shows laziness in my part and so it's really important so we come now, we're coming back to the last, about the last verses, chapter 3, verses 9 through 15, uh, as we're seeing uh, this book come to a conclusion. And I guess the emphasis I'm going to be making because of this last text is uh, looking at God's grace. That's how he ends the verse, grace be with you all. But we understand that from the very first note of the book, well, to the end, God's grace permeates the book and everything that takes place. And we know that. And I want to try before I sit down, and I, I'm not sure, 1134, I'll probably have enough time to do that, but I want to just try to formulate some kind of a definition of grace in your mind um, because it is, it permeates the theology and the scriptures. It permeates everything we read and and talk about in church doctrine, sound doctrine, the grace of God is uh, so abundant. And so we need to know what it, what it, it, it is when we, and we'll look at that. Uh, I want to begin by just this last section, verses 9 to 15, run through it. And as I told you before, I'm not, it's, it's simply just a function, if you will, of some of the things that take place in the church. And so I just want to comment all those things and I'm, I'm going to be kind of quick beginning in verse 9 if you want to follow along <clears throat> uh, Paul writes Timothy and it says avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and disputes the, all of those things that the foolish controversies are things that generate debate that come from people with uh, small minds if you want to take the literal read the genealogies are those the genealogy is always important, but with the, the uh, Jews, a lot of times it has taken to go to an extreme, and so some people can revel a lot in, in some genealogical records and stuff like that. It's just a detour, it's all he's saying avoid these things, uh, disputes about the law, little theological stuff, unprofitable things, worthless things, 
reject the uh, people that cause divisions after the first and second warning, knowing that these kinds of divisions are come from people that are perverted. Um, they are they are missing the mark. They're sinning. Uh, they're being and in their sin and their rejection and their stupidity and in their rebellious and in their division cause divisions. They are in fact setting setting themselves up as being condemned themselves. They're condemning condemning themselves. And that's the first little section there. And all I wanted to point out, or what I wanted to point out there after we looked at that, which you did already, is that conflicts do where you have people, conflicts exist. And where you have God's people, conflicts exist. And here the conflicts are usually over some kind of misdirection misstatement the misunderstanding of doctrine a pet doctrine that's exalted out of its place and ignoring other things we can we can really when we get our focus when we get our focus that was a the, the, i've been thinking a lot about the seven letters of revelation maybe thinking about doing a study of those letters to apply to us because we've been looking at our church and we want to know what the lord has for us and stuff like that and seven letters gives us a, i think a good clear thumbnail sketch of the churches and stuff like that but the first one the first uh picture there was the church that did everything seemingly in perfect and good structure except they had lost their first love they left their first love which is the love for jesus with the, the initial passion for him and i will tell you that's that's where the life is that's where you that's where you begin to fall the the, the real focus the real focus for us and the real hope for us and the real joy for us and the real life for us comes through Jesus and our focus on him and our attention paid to him and when we get when we turn our attention from that um it, it really it, we detour we we miss the mark we go astray I was talking to somebody the other day she was asking me about peace and how can you when you have struggles in your life how can you have peace with the with the things that I was telling you, I said you can pray. The Bible says, "Let your requests be known to God." And the peace of God will pass all understanding. But I, the, one of the things is that, that you need to know personally the one you're praying to. You need to have that personal knowledge, that personal relationship with Him, so that you're not you're not going through the motion. I used to when I went to bed, I'd, I'd go out of the bed and I'd pray for mommy and daddy and and. Uh, and for my, all my aunts and uncles and everything, help me to sleep good tonight and keep me, help me wake up in the morning, okay, and get up and go to bed. And that was it. And for a long time, that was that was where I was taught to pray by my mother on the bedside, just to give a good night's sleep and stuff like that. Because I didn't know the one that I was praying for. I knew about him. And I used to I used to talk to him about things that I wanted. I promised him I'd go to church five times if he'd give me what I wanted. <laughs> And, and uh, until I came to know the Lord, I don't think I ever fulfilled that because I made that promise many times, but I didn't 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 go to church five times. It's always something you put off. I'm sure the Lord was not sitting there because the church I went to was a liberal church. It was dead as doornail. But uh, I don't think the Lord was. I used to also steal my grandmother's time and use it shoot pool, and that was kind of bad too. But it would have gone to that church, that dead church. So. I, if people are listening that was the big church there wake forest campus southeastern seminary and the seminary doesn't have control of that church the church is still as far as i know still dead and so anyway you can send me letters or whatever but the first point of this verse and i'm going to move on because i'm thinking it's too much time is conflict there are conflicts in the church 
Conflicts are generated by people like myself who have a big mouth and talk about things like that without any ammunition, I know. But anyway, so that's the first section. The second section begins, or the second sentence begins verse 12, where he says, when I said Artemis and Tychicus to you to make every effort, come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And, and what this sentence is saying is that there is Paul's request that there be help and communication and cooperation. And that's what I call it, cooperation, cooperation in the, in, the, in the body. And we can see that, for example, when we do vacation Bible school, we can see the cooperation with each other, that we work together. We hone that now to a, almost to a science where we already almost know without looking what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it. And that works out real good for us. It really does. And so we were able, as a small church, you know, we, sometimes we have more. We didn't have quite as many last time because of the virus, but as a small church, with a handful of people, we can handle a large group of kids because we know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to go. And one of them tell them, and so we can go out here and do that. Hey, right, and do that. And that. the other, we got a schedule. And so we, we cooperate together. And that's important. The body is that way. That's why it's called a body. Because the church is made up of many members. And no one member is to be exalted above another. Some members are not to be very, are not considered very attractive, but they are exalted and they are important. And some of the organs of your body, which you don't see, you depend on for your life, for their existence, for their function, and their working. And so it's really a lot of things happen in the church, and people don't see uh, what's going on. You see what's happening up here, maybe. But you don't always see what's going on behind the scenes. I will to tell you what's going on behind the scenes is so important because what goes on here depends on that. And so it's really important as a body made up of individuals. Who sees it? God sees it. Jesus sees it. He's the one that, and he's the one that matters. And um, <clears throat> I know uh, we have uh, people that uh, serve the Lord and, and teach classes and do other things. They've been doing it for years and years and years. And they, they're not getting a salary or doing anything like that. But they are accruing um, a weight of, of blessing from the Lord in their service to the Lord. And the Lord does not, does see and he knows. And he's the one that we want to live for. He's the one we want to please. I, I, I can remember uh, walking down from my study on a Sunday night. Uh, I mean, on the Saturday night after studying, being late and going down there. And I was looking at my shadow. It was cast by the light of my neighbors or something as I was walking and I noticed out of the shadow, I looked like I was a drunk man. The, the shadow was staggering. And I said, I'm not drunk. My neighbor was looking at that. I was just getting tired. I was ready to go to bed. So I was tired. But now I was thinking about that, that it's really a privilege to serve the Lord even when you're tired, even when nobody sees you. You know, you're just out there alone like that. It's really a joy and really a privilege to be able to do that, to honor the Lord to do that. And I would really like to do that and I'd like to be able to do it without having to get you know, have people give me a pat on the back or something like that. Not because I'm wanting to sacrifice, it's because there's value in knowing that you're serving the Lord and not people, you know? I mean, for the applause, I don't want my name in the bulletin because I've done this or given some name and you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, so that's, and I think that's important. I think that's really important. So anyway, uh, so the, that, 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 uh, Point is in cooperation. We want to be involved in cooperation. And the next, the next verse talks about challenges. Is what I put down there. Our this verse fourteen. Our people also must learn to engage in good 
deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful or barren. And there again, uh, we have to look, we have to, to train and to teach and to, to counsel the people and, the, and the, the flock, challenge, I guess is what I put down, to be fruitful, to be obedient, to look out for the opportunities because we were talking this morning about being accurate when we're teaching class or teaching uh, even our children, or oh, and I was thinking at that point, if we're teaching people where we work at the workplace or people that we meet on the street. In those cases, we are the Bible that they would be here from, the, the word that God would give to them. So we want to be accurate with that. And we want to be accurate in a way that, that our testimony is believable and is not confused or not cluttered or not clouded by sin and by you know what? The, the sin will, will dampen your testimony even when you don't realize it so that it, it doesn't have the, the effect, doesn't have the power that it would if the Spirit of God was really working. And our hearts need to be right. You understand what I'm saying? It needs to be, we need to be sensitive uh, to that. Uh, that's why I think the seven letters and seven churches begin with that first area of sensitivity, and that is those that lost their first love. That begins it progression downward. So anyway, here is this, this group of people and they must learn to do good works, to engage in good works. They must learn to do that. That takes a sacrifice. It also takes um, a watchful eye, awareness to, to be looking for opportunities to serve the Lord, to be looking for that. And I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm very easily sidetracked and easily satisfied with my little things that I want to do. And uh, the Lord has to, to speak to me. And sometimes, probably, most cases, if you have a husband and wife team both love the Lord, one of them will be more sensitive to, the, to that than the other. And in my case, it would be Elaine. She would be much more sensitive. I have to be able to humble myself and admit she's right and work together to have good, to try to produce good works or fruit rather than say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. we got to do this, that, the other. You know what I'm saying? So the Lord knows, and, and he, he puts us together in a way that glorifies and honors him. The next area, and I need to hurry, the next area is communication, and all is verse 15, all that from one verse. All who are with me greet you, greet those uh, who love us in the faith. And that, that uh, and I went through, and I'm not going to bore you with it now, but I went through, I got tons of verses where uh, all the brethren greet you, greet one another, all the saints greet you, the fellow workers greet you. Um, yeah, Colossians 4, Romans 16, Romans 12, and tons and tons of verses where Paul is writing and talks about Phoebe, the servant of the church, greet these people, receive her, uh, greet Priscilla and Quilla, fellow workers. You see what I'm saying? The point is, all this is just, there is a, the need in the church for fellowship and communication. It's disrespectful uh, to not communicate very well. Um, I have very, some very good friends that do not communicate very well. And I know that their background is difficult for them, but I do know that it's, it's disrespectful. People talk to you. I know my son used to have a pet peeve about that. If you were talking to him, if he was talking to you, and you turn around and walk away like that, he would be highly incensed. I remember I told that to Rick. Rick said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't think he ever did it, but we just going to try to do it. <laughs> so if he does it now, you'll know where he got it. So, but it is disrespectful. People are talking to you, 
And they're, they're taking the time to look into your eye and say something, and you show no interest, and then you tell turn away and, and distract him. And I've done that to, to Ray, distract him. He'll be talking, and I'll interrupt him about something, and he'll say, You just interrupted me. And I said, You're right, and I'm sorry to do that. It shows that I'm disrespectful. I don't value your, what you're saying, Ray. Nobody does. <laughs> and then the last one, and that's what we're going to be on. This is a short verse. Great grace be with you all. And I, we could call, I guess you could call that confidence or comfort or I don't know. But I just I, I wanted to talk about the word, the, the word teres is the Greek word. Charis, I think is the way, it, I, I'm not sure. That's the way the pronunciation gets it on the internet. But anyway, uh, it, it, it's used several ways. I have three verses here. That one of the things that is, that, uh, is, and it's the same word, but it has kind of a variety of, of meanings. And one of the meanings uh, is that it's that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveness. And I'll give you a couple examples. Ephesians 4 29, um, Paul writes, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is good for edification according to the need for the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And what he's saying there is that God's word that you communicate um, can give comfort, can give uh, um, pleasure, can give uh, sweetness or, <coughs> or help to the, to the receiver. That uh, you can do that, that. And that's when the Holy Spirit is working and the, God's, God's word is working. You can do that. Luke 4 is another, another passage where it's used like that. It says, all were speaking well of him and wondering, uh, and this was talking about the Lord, wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? There again, the words that were falling on his lips were producing joy, uh, delight. Uh, and they were marveling at how the, his words were doing that. Colossians 4, 6 is another, and that'll be the last one on that particular topic. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. Salt is uh, that which brings, um, makes flavor to a situation, as well as it can be a preservative or almost like a um, something that can, can kill bacteria and other things. It can be kind of purifier and so he says let your speech always be with grace that is that it be delightful and charming to bring delight charming though as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person so all of these those are just passages where sometimes when grace is used it's speaking of that which produces joy or sweetness or loveliness and notice one other thing that stood out to me in all these passages it is associated with what comes out of the mouth, the word. That he says, Ephesians, that no word proceeds from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. Luke says, uh, wondering at the gracious words which are coming from his lips. Colossians says, let your speech always be with grace. Uh, that does say something about the ability of the mouth to be a display, I think, of God's grace uh, for, for joy, for pleasure. Uh, to encourage, you see what I'm saying, and stimulate. The mouth is a is a powerful instrument. Uh, who is it that says that the tongue? Huh? It's a, it's James that says the tongue is a little bitty part of the body, but it boasts great 
um, you know, exactly how it's worded, but it, it boasts great things that it is set on fire by hell and it can, do, it can do all kinds of damage. It's a major, a major, major part of the body that can do great damage. And yet here, the tongue and the speech is to be seasoned with grace, is to be, I like to think of it as being filtered through your knowledge of the word. You see what I'm saying? Uh, let the word have an effect um, on what you say. And I've heard it said, it's probably if you're going to say something, it might be good to think about what you say, but once you say it, you can't unsay it. And uh, it, the, the tongue has such powerful potential. And James does say that it's the hardest part of the body to control, the hardest thing to control. It's easier to come from a city than to control your tongue. And what uh, I tell you, what I know, you bump me and my mouth just goes to town. And so it, you have to be, we just have to be careful. But you really have to watch what comes out of our mouth. You understand? That's just the point. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. The tongue is a fire in the very world of unrighteousness or iniquity. I think it was one of the translations. The tongue is set on fire by the our body's parts. Is that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life. And it's set on fire by hell. And it goes on talking about being able to tame the beast. But no man can tame the tongue. Thank you, David. You're a very good man. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. You, have, you don't have to put this on the floor. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. I'm, I'm getting these fucked up later. James also talks about anger. Thank you for sharing that. Public. So, uh, another area of grace has to do with the, the, it has to do with loving kindness or favor, showing favor. Um, and I'll just give you some verses. Um, Peter says, First Peter 2, 19 and 20, this finds favor. That word favor is the word for grace, is charis. This, uh, for this finds charis, favor, or, but it's translated favor because that's what they, they, the translators translate that word as meaning. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering, when suffering unjustly. So what you talking about when you suffer for doing right, that times favor with God. If you suffer for doing wrong, then you get what you deserve. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And that word favor there, both, both places, to begin, begin with, says this finds favor with God, this finds favor with God. That's just the word for grace. What he said, just he's saying there is that that puts you in a place of favor with God. God appreciates that. The Lord knows it's not easy. The Lord knows it's not fun. Nobody likes that. Uh, I have a, a girl that I work with. She's from uh, Amsterdam, and she's had, I guess, she's had a rough life. But she she was really upset because one of the workers was trying to say something to her across the room. But to try to get to her. And this girl got really upset at her. And I said, we need to get upset. And she said, yeah, she was yelling me across the room. And I said, but you're trying to communicate. Yeah, but I don't like to be yelled at. And she was really, you know, just flying off the handle just because she was yelling at you. And, uh, but you need, if you, if you can endure things like that, because you love the Lord and hold your temperature and, and um, really to show that you, that you love the Savior more than you love your pride and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
it finds favor with God. It, it pleases him. Uh, other verses, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Remember that? Luke, where is it? After the uh, bar mitzvah, he went home with his parents and he went and he kept submission to them. And it was just talking about Jesus growing, increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor. That is, uh, in a way that was pleasing and uh, made in pleasing with God and also with men. Acts uh, 7, 10, I have a lot of them, I don't have time to go through them all, but this one is a, is when Stephen was making a defense, and he was talking about Joseph before Pharaoh, and of course, this is the Greek, but he's quoting, quoting uh, in the Greek, and he uses the word grace, and it says uh, that, um, talking about Joseph, he rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, you remember that, when, when uh, this guy came out of prison, and he became number two in the kingdom, and uh, he was everything. And he was su he's such a good model for responsible living. I mean, everything he did, uh, he, he seemed to do it in a, in a position of favor for God. And then the Lord just showered on him wisdom and, and uh, intelligence and just really, really did well. And this passage just, just means that, that, um, that he was granted this position of favor in the presence of Pharaoh and presence of others, the people, and he was, he was really exalted. And we could go on and on and on, but that's another meaning of the word grace, of being that which is a position of favor, a position of, of being pleasing to God. And that is a position we stand in before God. We are pleasing to him. We are, we are in a position of his favor. If you don't think you're a position of his favor, just look at what you deserve, where you ought to be right now. God is, you, you wouldn't be saved, you wouldn't be sitting here were it not for God's work in your heart and your life. And not only in your heart and your life, but he wrote your name. We talk about it, God knows your name, he's known it for a long time. And uh, he's put it down there and he's chosen that. Tell me why he chose you and not somebody else that you run into the street. There's no reason, there's none. We cannot give a reason, it's God, he's made those choices for reason of his own and we are at his mercy, but eternally grateful, eternally grateful to him. Of his grace and his mercy. And let's go on. Um, it's also what is it has to do with giving our spiritual conditions. Uh, it's due, what is due. Romans 5 2. Go um, home also. We have received, received an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So it is a, it is like a, a place in the world. And see, here's the thing about grace that makes this hard for us to grasp. If we were talking about the altar, we could draw a picture of it, we can see it as an abstract issue, we can make a, a definition for it, but we're talking about something that's, that, I'm sorry, concrete, the altar would be something that's concrete, and we can see it, but grace is not something that's concrete, it's an abstract thought, it's something that we have to, it's kind of hard to describe, like grace, or love, or uh, happiness, you know, give it, I mean, we can describe it, but it's hard to grasp. Grace is one of those things. But here is a position where it provides a place where we can stand. It's a tangible uh, place of God's favor, and we can stand in that. Second Peter 3.18 is another one, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So this is a real thing that we can grow into and mature, and we put into our practice and our life, not in the position of Favor, but a condition uh, of living under God's direction, under God's care, under God's provision. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 
Do therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is, again, that place that is uh, real. Uh, that is it's a position that we stand in. It is a position that we can grow in this area and in the knowledge that of our Lord. It's a position of his favor. It's a position of his caring. It's a position of his providence. And the thing, and I guess maybe the, the uh, thing I'll kind of close with on that, and I have more, but I don't have time for it. But the thing is that grace always is the antithesis of working or earning something. Uh, when you work, uh, you receive your wages because you've earned them. And uh, But grace is God has given to us, uh, and the, we find in him his provision that we have not earned. And uh, he has made the provision. When we look Sunday school at the at the, the work of the good shepherd, the good shepherd has taken care of everything that is legally necessary to pay for our sins so that we cannot be charged with those sins. And he's done that, but nothing was earned by us. It was all provided by him. Nothing uh, do we deserve any of this favor, any of these good things. It is all an overflowing provision of the infinite mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for which I, for one, and I know you are too, very thankful for that. And so we want to grow in this grace, in this position of favor, and we want to grow in this position, in this understanding of knowledge, because in that knowledge, that knowledge is a place that we learn more and more about him and appreciate him more and more. And the more we learn about him, the more we appreciate him, the more we delight in him, and the more we delight in him, the more he fashions the heart that we want us to have so we can we can fulfill the desires of our heart. You see what I'm saying? And those heart, those desires are fulfilled more and more as we delight in the Lord and become more and more like him. And so that's important. Now that's that's the first part of the verse. And the second part of the verse is very similar. It's just the last, and there's only one word there, and that is he says, um, to grace be with you all. And that just means that we are, as a church, as a people, standing in this, this provision of God, and this mercy of God, and this goodness of God, and this provision of, of his favor, this provision of his um, acknowledgement of us. We are shepherded, and we are, uh, he's sacrificed for us. He has done what is necessary. He has chased us down. He's given us what is necessary to believe and trust in him. And everything we have, we owe to him. And uh, so we are just really, of all people, greatly blessed. And, and uh, Titus here is a good illustration of that. Paul is telling Titus about these things and bringing these things to a conclusion. The entire book is a book that comes to us uh, by his grace and by his mercy. So um, I'm thankful for that. It's a good good book, good study, good word that Titus has given to us, that Paul has given us. And so let me just close this in prayer. Father, I know we've kind of run through this in kind of a haphazard way, um, but I do thank you for the greatness of the truth of your grace and your mercy and your provision. And thank you that we are not an afterthought and we are not a plan B. Uh, we are the focus of your purpose. And I think of, of the scripture, which makes it clear that you and you alone are the only creature, the only being that has the power of being yourself. There is nothing else that stands apart from you. You precede everything and you make everything and you've created everything. And so I understand in a way when you use the phrase I am, for actually 
But those people were coming to Pharaoh and they were, he was wanting to know what was the name of it. You don't ask, the inferior being does not ask the superior being what his name is. It's always the other way around. And we're not, we're not inquiring. All we have to say is you're here. You are the one and there's nothing else around. Nothing else, everything else is created. Everything else is fashioned. Only you uh, are the one. And so when we come to know who you are, you just say, I am. I am that I am. And that's all we need. And I, I thank you so much that you, the, the, the solemn, sovereign, um, sterilely independent being uh, is the creator of me. And you, you called me and you worked in my heart and you fashioned uh, a sacrifice at your own cost and expense to pay for my sins so that I could stand legally acquitted before you, forgiven, paid, and that you, even now, with all of my stupid blunderings and distractions and things that, that have marked my life over the years, you still are patiently working to make me more like you and use me uh, and one of the things that I remember was how my grandmother prayed for me, and that's that's to me is a, a marvel that you. Of course, I know I'm her grandson. She's she, her husband was a preacher, and he died, and was been able to still. I'm sure that she that was a part of that. But that you use those things to move your work in the hearts of people to bring glory to your name, and that's that's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what I ask. And I thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, these days, these are confusing days and difficult days. Uh, and yet in the middle of them is a small group of people that are seeking to follow you. Help us to be faithful. I think of the church in Ephesus there and the uh, church in Corinth and that godly situation, a small group that we're walking close to you. So I, I pray you'll help us to be faithful. Thank you for this time and um, ask your direction. Um, I think we'll probably look at the book of Colossians uh, in the next book. And I pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving.